seats or we'll go that way for Children's Church. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Hear these words. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put some clothes on, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of, John, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I find it interesting that the Gospel of John seems to have not just one, but two endings. 
the first, what seemed like an ending, came a little earlier than what um, Luke just read to us. The disciples were there in Jerusalem. They were cowered behind locked doors, and Jesus came, and he breathed on them. They received the Spirit. He said, my peace I give to you. And then John, though, isn't finished. All of a sudden, now we have this second appearance, and um, they're on the shoreline there at Galilee. It seems like John can't decide where to end this gospel. Don't be too hard on John. Don't you know there, there are some things that it's just hard to close out. I mean, have, you ever been writing a letter and you, you feel pretty good about what you've been saying. You think you've said it all and then all it just occurs to you, you left something out. It's too important to be left out. So you put, what do you put? P.S. in a little sentence. So sometimes you've ever even done a P.P.S. All right. Sometimes it's hard just to fold the letter, to lick the stamp, to, to mail it, to say it's done. Okay. Maybe that's what's going on. But then there's something even more perplexing about this second ending. Okay, in the first ending, Jesus said, not only my peace I give to you, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, now go and make the disciples. And what do we hear in this story we just heard? Oh yeah, they got up all right. They went, they got going. Where? Back to their boats. <laughs> you know, back to the life that they had known. Look, when the disciples, when we hear that they're going fishing, this is not a fun afternoon at the pond. Okay, They're not fishing with little Zebco reels and bobbers. They're fishing with huge and heavy nets. This is what they did to support themselves, to make a living. And this was the life that they had known. You say, well, it's all they knew what to do and how to do without Jesus. Maybe that's part of it. But I think there's something else going on here that we don't talk about too much. It's called Easter fear. I said, now, what do I mean by that? I'm not suggesting that there wasn't joy for the disciples at that first Easter. They loved Jesus. They missed Jesus. Yes, he's back. But that gets commingled with a sense of unsettledness, trepidation. Why? Think about Jesus, what he had meant to them, to us. Jesus, source of healing, a source of hope, but also source of change and challenge. When Jesus starts getting into the human heart and mind, it's, it's like that guest showing up that just turns everything on its head. You, you maybe can picture this scene. You have a guest over for dinner, is going to be spending the night. You're sitting in your recliner, and all of a sudden the, the guest isn't sitting on the sofa. Your guest is down there on the floor playing jacks with your children and then teaching them a couple of new games. And you say to yourself, when was the last time I ever got down on the floor with the children, right? Yeah. Then during supper, it's a good meal. And your guest just stops things about midway during the dinner and turns to the wonderful preparer of the meal and says, I, I've just got to stop all of our conversation for a moment. At the end of a hardworking day, you don't know what a, a blessing this has been to me. This, this is an evening I will never forget. And you're sitting there going, when was the last time I said something like that? Back in 1979? You see, you know, we come with our familiar pattern. We come home, get in the recliner, turn on ESPN. And all of a sudden, here comes this guest. It's, all of a sudden, everything looks different. Now, I'm going to suggest that 
it's even more expansive, um, more radical than that. Um, when Jesus shows up in our lives, it's all of a sudden we find ourselves saying, what in the world have I been doing? What little small world have I been living in? Now that's enlightening. Our eyes are open, but also it's discomforting. And I'm going to suggest that the disciples were caught in the ambiguity of that. Yes, he's alive. Let us rejoice. He's alive, but oh my goodness. In his great life and his great energy, he's never going to let us be, never let us go. You see, if Jesus is dead... If it's over on Friday, we know where Jesus is. He's in the cemetery. He's in the tomb. We can have two or three days of appropriate grieving and mourning. And then what? We can go back to business as usual. It's Monday. Now it's back to our terms. Look, the disciples not only had to deal with he's alive, but he's not here. They could never hold him down during his earthly ministry. They couldn't hold him to the empty tomb. He had outgrown his tomb. Jesus, he's always out in front, always going before and beyond. I think we tend to make it sound easier on the disciples than it really was. Now let's be honest about ourselves. Don't we have this tendency to just as soon keep life um, nailed down? Life, our life. Hey, it may not be all that we want, all that we need, but hey, this is the script. This is my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, we're born, we grow, we grow up, we get a job, we die. Maybe along the line, we're enticed by larger dreams that suggest something that's unpredictable and immeasurable. But sometimes we just as soon make peace with, this is my story, status quo. If Jesus is dead, if it's over on Friday, then, then we go back to business as usual before Jesus intruded our conventional judgments. I mean, let's be honest. You, you've heard enough gospel here that you know that the Jesus that talks to us has never really talked about a safe God, a God whose primary aim is to give us a good parking place at the mall. Jesus came and introduced a God that was less interested in our comfort and security than God was interested in the heft, the zest, and scope of our lives. Jesus didn't speak of a God who whispered these little greeting card slogans in our ears, but whispered to us of a world we have not yet seen or tasted. I want that. Sometimes I don't want that. Pat Buckman speaks of something he calls borderland Christianity. He said it's very easy as Christians, you hardly realize it, you become a part of the refuge of the stuck. Here's the border, you want to step across it, new day, new way, but what do we do? We hang on to what's staked out, marked off, packed down, borderland, spiritual borderland. It's this boat that I know. It's this boat that I know. I know every creek and crack in the planks of my boat dock. I know every patch in the sail. This is my boat. I know my boat. <laughs> yeah. One biblical commentator has suggested that these disciples 
have not been the only ones that went back to their boat. It's probably true on any given Sunday, you, you might be hearing a preacher sitting in his or her boat talking to several hundred people sitting in their boats, right? I mean, we, we all have that tendency. It can even happen around Easter. We came here two weeks ago and we had a reconnection with the fresh vigor of what it means to be Easter people. And then maybe it happened on Wednesday or it could happen between the narthex and the parking place, parking lot. We just meandered back into sailing along by our old maps. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, go, and they go, but they, they, they go back. But now hear the news. I'm not sure the disciples are ready to hear. Not sure we are. Jesus kept coming after them. Life, death, resurrection. He kept coming after them. Here they, they thought, well, it was a nice campaign while it lasted, but it's over. Nice campaign, but now it's over. Man, well... Here he was, trudging alongside two of the followers on their road to Emmaus. Here he was on the shoreline, helping them with their fishing. Here he was, building a charcoal fire to fix them some breakfast. Now what does that mean, that Jesus is ubiquitous here, there, everywhere? Yes, but here's something else that celebrates. It's that relentless, seeking presence and love of God. It's been there all along even before the Jesus narrative. Remember way back in Genesis there, in the cool of the evening, God goes down into the garden. Adam and Eve, where in the world are you? Why are you hiding? Ole, ole, and free. You see God in the garden looking, seeking. When our forefathers and foremothers chose something less than God and less than life and left Eden, God said, I'm going to be coming after you. Surely, goodness and mercy, it'll be following you all the days of your life. And it did, and the prophets and the patriarchs and the poets and the kings and queens. And then in Jesus, you see. Remember, we were right here, Palm Passion Sunday, and we showed up at the cross with our self-sufficiency. And what happened? Once again, we were found ambushed by the grace of God. He was 25 years old. He was starving to death. That hadn't always been his story. His story started full of all kind of promise and possibility. His father was a renowned physician in London. Uh, the young man, he goes to college and graduates, and his dream is to follow in his father's footsteps, so he takes the medical boards to medical school. He failed them three times. Now seeing himself as a failure, um, he's, on, he's on the streets. Um, he's supporting himself by selling these little match, these little match books and match boxes, selling just enough to give him something to eat and support his growing drug addiction. Now he's emaciated, now he's friendless. Every week his father sends 10 shillings to the reading room of a museum because he knew his son visited that museum frequently, but now the son is so disheveled they won't even grant him interest to the museum. Now he's face down on the pavement. He can't lift his head. A prostitute comes along and tries to help him and reaches into his pockets to find some identification and pulls out these little blue slips of paper. 
One of them is folded over and has a little bit of sugar in the middle. I guess he would open it up and lick it to get some energy. On the back of one of those blue slips of paper were these words. I fled him down the nights and the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and I hid from him in the midst of tears and under running laughter from those strong feet that followed, followed, followed after. The man's name was Francis Thompson. Those, that's just one stanza of many stanzas of a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's now been translated into 67 languages. Robert Frost in a bookstore in New Hampshire um, gave up his cab fare to buy a copy of it and he memorized every line of it. The Hound of Heaven, this seeking, pursuing God. Go to the ends of the earth, it'll be there. Dig a hole in Sheol, it will be there. And then what do we have in Jesus? in his life, death, and resurrection, the very hound of heaven, or as it would say in the Gospel of John, the good shepherd, the seeking shepherd, who would look for just the one lost sheep. And you see what is happening here in his ministry, and now as the risen one, he's still seeking, he's still searching, he will not let them be. He is still trying to come and wake up his followers to the possibility of abundant and resurrection life. And I love the way John tells how he came after them. It was a be- it's a beautiful picture because there's fish in it and sea in it and sky in it. And it was at the break of day. Uh, you know, Peter had rounded up a few of his friends and fellow disciples and they went on this fishing trip. And there at the break of the day, they look there on the shore and they can see the embers of a charcoal fire and someone standing beside it. And once Peter figured out it was Jesus, um, he just hurled himself into the water like a dolphin. He swam to the shore. See, here was Jesus. Um, He was was not going to let Peter be or go or slip back into the old ways. Not just with his presence, but now he's going to do it with a question. It's a haunting question. Do you love me? Do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to stir. He's trying to wake up Peter's heart and mind. Not with doctrine. Not with doctrine. But with relationship. He's trying to call Peter back into the quality of that relationship that they had had together. Do you love me? Of course Peter loved him. My goodness. How many times had had Peter been for Jesus the kind of rock you bump your shin on? But Jesus kept seeing Peter as the kind of rock that maybe you could even build something like a church on. Do you, you, me... Do we love him? Even those of us who have never seen Jesus as Peter did, isn't it hard for us not to love him? Do you love me? Then just as the Father has sent me, I'm going to be sending you. um, Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. 
What are we going to do after Easter? What, what, what are we going to do after Easter? Well, you know, I mean, we could have a great Easter, say the music was wonderful, the lilies really looked good, the choir was, uh, the crowd, every, it was quite a day, and then we say it was really nice, but it's, it's, this Easter is over, and um, so we go back. Or we could live into the Easter way. Now, for some of us, you see, living into the new way, for some people, every once in a while, it might mean leaving our nets and our boats and our desks and our books and our, our homes. But for a lot of us, it'll just mean living into our nets and our books and our homes and our neighborhoods more lovingly. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Look, this, this isn't just about us honoring Jesus. I believe in this call, Jesus is honoring us. This is the seeking, searching love of God that won't let us be satisfied with anything less than gospel-sized life. What's Jesus doing here? He's turning the sheep, you and me, into the joyful work of shepherds. Yeah. It was two weeks ago. We were here and we celebrated our Easter inheritance, all that has been bequeathed to us by Easter faith, the hope of it, the life of it, the love of it. But yes, the call of this, the call of Jesus nudging us, not letting us be, not letting us go, saying, come, join me in the finding, the seeking, the sweeping, the rejoicing. Fred Craddock said, that bequeath, it's like somebody gave you a $10,000 bill. Mm, isn't that something? Look what I got. Ooh, a $10,000 bill. Isn't that something? What are you going to do with it? Well, I got me a $10,000 bill. I guess I could, after I spend a week admiring it, turning it over, being aware of it, showing it to all my friends, what am I going to do with it? You don't want to hoard it, guard it, save it. Bury it now. The only way that this $10,000 bill is going to have any meaning at all is if you change it into concrete acts of grace. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Yeah. Here's my prayer for you, me, for Central Church here during Eastertide. That Jesus will not let us be. The risen one will not let us go. That the good shepherd uh, will find us somehow, somewhere, so that he might give us his great life to fill our emptiness. That he might call us into the world to help push back the dark. Let us pray. Oh God, we know that you're never finished with creation, never finished with any of us. And Jesus showed us once and for all the lengths, depths you would go to in your wild pursuit to be a part of our lives and to call us out of deadness into life. And it's so easy for us, you know us, you made us to settle back into our old ways and sometimes even dead ways. But um, we hope that we will hear you calling us forth to be Easter people, 
to join you in making an old world into a new world. In Jesus' name, amen. now go back into the day knowing that the love of God and the grace of Jesus, the fellowship of the Spirit in this church will be with us always. Let us go in peace.